Grace and mercy and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. St. Anthony of Egypt is often referred to as the father of monasticism. He was born around 251 AD, and he lived to be almost 100 years old. He came from a wealthy family, but at a young age, he was struck by Jesus' words to the rich young ruler, Go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. He was determined, Anthony was determined not to love his wealth the way that that rich young ruler did. And so he took Jesus' words to heart and he acted on them very literally. He sold everything that he had and he gave it all away. And then he went out into the wilderness to live as a hermit in the desert. Even though Anthony is called the father of monasticism, he's not really the first. It's just that he was very influential. There were many stories about him. It's difficult to say how much of it's true and how much of it is, is just legend. In some ways, he resembled a little bit John the Baptist, a teacher out in the wilderness. People traveled a long way to go out and, and visit him and hear him share his wisdom. Part of why he became such a, a popular and influential figure is that people really started to glorify that kind of life. The actions he, he took, they were something to marvel at. How many people could do that, could follow through on giving away everything that they have? Uh, how many people would take up a, a hermit lifestyle and, and dedicate their whole lives to prayer and meditating on God's word? People concluded that Anthony must have had a very great faith. And if someone had, had done that, had uh, removed all the distractions of this world from his life and dedicated himself to meditation and prayer, then he must also be a model of righteousness. That kind of thinking makes a lot of sense. It's no surprise that people thought that way during Anthony's life and, and even still do today. And, and more teachings were added on top of that. The Augsburg Confession says it was taught that monastic vows were equal to baptism. It was taught that a monastic life merited forgiveness of sins and justification before God. There's a problem with this, though, and I think Anthony would have been quick to point it out as well. The stories about him, whether true or, or legend, do not describe how easy his life became after he left all the temptations of the world behind. Rather, what they describe is how he faced intense temptations and struggled against them with the word of God. We might think that getting away from the temptations of the world would help us to live God-pleasing lives. There's some truth in that. The, the world is full of temptations to sin. Christian parents tell their children how important it is to have good friends and not the kinds of friends who are going to get them into trouble. We should be careful about what kinds of worldly things we invite 
into our lives. Like the, the mythical vampires in the stories. Keep them outside. Don't invite them into your, your homes. What kinds of monsters do we invite into our homes through our, our television, our smartphone? One pastor said that for every sermon we hear in church, we hear a hundred more on Netflix. But even if we do wholeheartedly attempt to remove every attack, every temptation of the world from our lives, even if we move out to the, the deserts of Africa or, or to the Arctic wilderness of Alaska, we still won't remove every temptation and every sin from our lives. And that's because the third enemy of the Christian is our own sinful nature. There are uh, a few different terms for this found in the Bible all refer to the same thing. It's, it's the sinful nature. It's the sinful flesh. It's the old Adam. Uh, those different biblical terms, they, they all talk about the same thing but emphasize different aspects of it. The old Adam is a, a reminder that we've inherited our sinfulness from our parents going all the way back to our first father, Adam, and his sin in the Garden of Eden. The sinful flesh calls to mind how we we often act uh, on the immediate desires of our bodies without using our heads and certainly without a concern for our souls. And the, the sinful nature, that points to how thoroughly sinful we are from our, our very origins. It's not a, a part of us that can be removed. It's not something that can be changed or, or avoided. It's with us all the time. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 7. He, he agonizes over his own life and he says, Indeed, I know that good does not live in me, that is, in my sinful flesh. The desire to do good is present with me, but I am not able to carry it out. So I fail to do the good I want to do. Instead, the evil I do not want to do, that is what I keep doing. And this isn't just Paul speaking for himself. He's speaking for every one of us. Every Christian wants to do what is good and right. We want to serve God. We want to be an example to others, the, the kind of person that people look up to and say, now there's the kind of person I want to be like. There's a person who has his life under control and who acts with wisdom and lives by faith. But instead, if we Look at ourselves honestly. There are a lot of things that we don't want to look at too closely. There are a lot of things that we don't want the people around us to know about us. We oftentimes can't explain why it is that we did what we did. We're like Paul who says, I do not understand what I am doing because I do not keep doing what I want. Instead, I do what I hate. And that's a big problem. We could even say that this makes our own sinful nature the most difficult of all the Christian's enemies. If the devil is my enemy, he can be defeated. His head can be crushed and the archangel Michael and all the angels of heaven can wage war against him and bind him and imprison him forever in hell. If the world is my enemy, it can be avoided. 
I might not be able to live as a, as a hermit in the wilderness, but at least I can go into my house and I can shut the door and I can be discerning about what I allow in on, on the TV or on the internet. But what if my enemy is with me wherever I go? What if my enemy stares back at me whenever I look in the mirror? What if my enemy is me? What a miserable wretch I am, Paul says. Who will rescue me from this body of death? It has to be Jesus. I, I certainly can't save me from myself. But, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, take to heart what a great thing this is. You see, if there was something worth saving in us, if we were like a box of adorable kittens caught in a storm, then it would make sense that God would save us. He would hear our cries to deliver us from evil and he would look on us innocent and desirable people and he would snatch us out of the reach of all the evils that threaten to destroy us. But it's not that way at all. We, in our very nature, are evil. Our flesh and our bones, our hearts and our souls, our thoughts, words, and deeds are entirely opposed to God, hostile to God, hateful of God. But the love of God is so great that he sent his son anyway. Jesus didn't come into the world to save the righteous. He came to save sinners. He came to save us even from ourselves. So he took on our nature. He became fully human, like us in every way, but without sin. And he took our sin on himself, and he bore it for us, and he suffered hell on the cross for us, and he died for us, not because we were righteous, but to make us righteous. Through baptism, the sinful nature in us is put to death with Jesus on the cross. In him and with him a new man rises. In Jesus, God declares that he sees us not as sinners, but as his holy children. Deliver us from evil, we pray. The devil, the world, and our own sinful nature seek to destroy us. The evils of this life are everywhere, even in our own hearts. We can't run away from them and we can't escape them. But we can run to the loving arms of our Savior. Jesus is our refuge and strength. He's our defense from the devil. He's our respite from the world. He's our rest from the guilt that burdens our hearts. He is our righteousness. Our triune God is faithful. He answers our prayer. He delivers us from every evil in this life until finally he brings us to heaven. To him be thanks and praise now and forever. Amen.
Please stand. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.